0: All right. Y'all got me on the volume back there? All right. Y'all feel good or y'all feel real good? Real good. All right. Some of you are ready for this morning. And it is a joy to be here. Brother Dwight, 1991, I believe, came in, ambassador, and me and him was roommates. And uh, let's see. You got me okay? I don't know. who. Where am I looking? You got me? Okay. Oh, Oh, there we are. I hadn't seen one over on this side before. That's good. All right. So you got uh, Brother Dwight came in in 91. I believe Brother Finley came in in 91. And uh, I think that we were really good friends in school, close friends. Uh, Brother Bundy came in in 92, as he said, and him and his wife were, I think, leaders, were our leaders. And uh, they were great leaders. They was always there to give great advice. You got a great pastor, a great man of God. Um, You should be very, very proud of him. There was a few times I almost got in trouble. He calmed me down, and said, "This probably." I I," he this way said, "I agree with you." I was about to get in a fight with somebody, and it was a good reason. And he said, "I agree with what you're thinking, but this is probably not a good thing." And so he he saved me out of a lot of trouble one time, and uh, so we we appreciate the leadership, Brother Monday. I'm proud of what's going on here. I've heard of some great news here, and what the Lord is doing. And I'm proud of you for what you're doing. It takes not only the pastor, but it takes God's people being surrendered and dedicated and excited. You got to have some excitement in here. I'm kind of hearing of a revival spirit that goes on around here, and I want y'all to encourage y'all to keep that up. And so all the guys, I believe, that are preaching this week, we all went to the same Bible college. And so uh, some more coming in tomorrow that we're very good friends with, and uh, some of them I know better than others. But this is a very unique meeting, I think, uh, for all of our, I guess you might say there's a lot of people in the ministry, but this is kind of like a brotherhood for us. Uh, It's a a close-knit group. I don't know, there may be a few things um, that I disagree with these guys on. I'm a big Alabama fan, and roll tide. (laughs) Hey, some Tennessee fans over here, and I'm not going to, you know, they won this year, so they got bragging rights, But we agree on most things, and that's a very unique thing. It's very unique. And so it's. I think it's special. And I think what the, what's going to happen this week is very special. And so I hope that you enjoy the week. I hope you enjoy the messages. And I really appreciate the pastor inviting me in this week. I want you to take your Bible and turn to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. Um, and, you know, I... I I wasn't really paying attention when Brother Shannon was giving me an introduction, but then it came to me. When the Lord called me to preach, I was 19, I started preaching in rescue missions, nursing homes, and on the streets, and these kind of things. But after I went to college, I started in the ministry. I started pastoring when I was 24. So I've been in ministry 28 years, but I started preaching. I've been preaching about 31 years. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. So some of you young men that maybe God's calling you to preach, we need some young men. Preaching the gospel, you know, I didn't have any churches calling me saying, hey, would you fill in? Well, I had a few, but listen, I'd go out to the streets, the parking lots, the nursing homes, at the rescue missions. You just get out there and preach the gospel somewhere. And I'm going to tell you something. If you got enough boldness and courage to go out to a street corner somewhere and let it rip, I'm going to tell you what, that's going to help you down the road. I'll guarantee you that. So don't you be afraid to get out there in the parking lot. Sometimes these young men will hang out in the parking lot drinking beer and smoking reefer. I hear y'all smoke a lot of reefer up here. You can get out there and preach the gospel to them. They need the gospel, and they need your help, and you just never know. I remember I went out with a friend of mine. He said, that, you know, I was preaching. They're throwing beer bottles and cussing me, but, but that's okay. That's okay. It's, you just need to get out there and share the gospel with somebody and so I was, I've always been deathly afraid to get in front of people and speak. When I was in uh, school and you had to do an oral book report, I would take a zero. My mom used to get mad at me because it hurt my grades. I said, Mom, I'm just a B and C student. <laughs> That's all I am. And, uh, of course, you know what I found out? I found out they've moved the grade scale, and all this time I'm now an A and B student. I was smarter the whole time than I thought I was. But I, if the teacher said, you got to get up there and talk about this book you read. I wasn't necessarily against reading the book, but I did not want to get in front of anybody and speak. That was not my thing. And so when the Lord called me to preach at 18, I was deathly afraid. I was afraid to get up in front of people and speak. I was afraid that I would fail. I was I was afraid that I would disappoint my family. I was afraid I would disappoint my preacher. I was afraid... Uh, that I'd most of all disappoint the Lord, and so what I did, and I kind of listened to some people, and they say, well, the preparation, being prepared is going to be your best help to encourage you in your preaching, and so I used to really study a lot, and I'd write a lot of notes, and I got a, I wrote a lot, of, and I've, I had this bad habit of writing a lot of notes in my sermons, so now I got a 10-point sermon this morning, <laughs> And now I'm finding out I'm not. Sometimes I don't even get through the introduction, you know. So I'm going to probably give you the outline if, if, if you take, whoever, how many of y'all take notes? Does anybody take notes? All right, well, real quick, before I get started, let me give you the, the, the sermon title is Lazarus Come Forth. And Lazarus Come Forth is the instructions. It's the invitation. It's the importance. We look at the iniquity. We look at the imprisonment, we look at the idleness, we look at the impossible, we look at the immutable, we look at the immortal, and we look at the inheritance. And Of course, if you want to, I'll give those to you after the service, but I may finish, I may not. So <laughs> there's the outline if you'd like to look at that. But let's go to John chapter number 11. I'm not going to read all the scripture. I think this is one of the greatest One of the greatest miracles that our Lord performed. I think it's one of the greatest. As I began to study this about Lazarus, it has encouraged me in many ways, and I hope the things that God has spoke to me about in my study, I hope that I can relay that to you this morning. But I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter. I want to encourage you to read the whole chapter. Uh, But we know that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha... They were were family, and they were very close to the Lord. So these were very close people to the Lord. And let me just read a few verses, I think, are key verses in this text. Then, in verse number 16 of John chapter number 11, Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us all go, that we may die with him. Sounds like a little bit of doubt. That's why they called him Doubting Thomas. Seems like there was always doubt in Thomas' life about what he would do. How many of y'all have ever doubted what God wanted you to do? Raise your hand. <laughs> well, I'm right there with him. You know, sometimes we're hard on Thomas, but I think we're probably all right there with him sometimes. Verse 21, notice this, then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Now notice verse number 25, Mary, or well, excuse me, verse 25, this is one of the key verses. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And this is one of the key verses. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, though he were dead, yet shall he live. There's only life in Christ. There is life nowhere else other than Christ. Notice verse 32. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Basically, Martha Says this, and now Mary says the same thing that Martha did. There's a lot of doubt going on. A lot of doubt. Thomas is doubting. Uh, <clears throat> Mary and Martha are accusing the Lord. If you hadn't been here, uh, you should have been here, and you know, and uh, these kind of things. And then notice this, verse thirty-five. Jesus wept. You know, when you're kids, you know the Sunday school teacher said, "Give me one of the Bible verses you got memorized." And everybody's fighting over John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. I got, <laughs> I got that verse memorized. Then said the Jews, "Behold, how he loved him!" Notice this, the Jews. Here, here comes the crowd. "Behold, how he loved him!" And some of them said, "Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, <clears throat> have caused that even this man should not have died?" More doubt. More doubt. Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone laid upon it. And Jesus said, "Take ye away the stone." Martha the sister of him that was dead saith unto him Lord by this time he stinketh for he hath been dead 4 days 4 days This was a miracle that there was no doubt n- no mistakes made this man was dead he was 4 days dead he began to stink Jesus said unto her said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of God then they took away the stone from the place where Je- uh, where the dead was laid And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, and that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he noticed this, he that was dead, he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin, and Jesus saith unto them, Loose him, and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him, but some of them, notice this, but some of them, after this great miracle, some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. They're telling on him. They didn't want Christ. They was trying to get Christ in trouble. is that amazing that Christ could do such a great miracle? That he could do such a great miracle, raise the dead? Isn't that what, isn't that what the rich man in hell said? If one went to him from the dead, they would believe, and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. This man comes from the dead. Lazarus comes from the dead. And they said, Well, let's go tell the Pharisees, what are you doing now? You know what they should have done? They should have got right with God. Amen. They should have accepted Christ as their Savior. So I want to preach for a little while this morning on. Lazarus, come forth. Lord, we come to you today. And we ask that you bless the reading of the Word of God. We pray that you'd help these people today, encourage them. We pray that you'd help us to live a, a life that's alive and vibrant and ready to serve God, and help us to whatever dead state we may be in, that we would come out of that dead state, and we would be alive in Christ, and live for Christ, and do all that we can do before you call us home. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this was a moving time in Christ's ministry. It's the only time in all the Bible that he said he wept. Now, I don't know if Anybody here has ever wept? I I get the idea that this is not just shedding a tear, but this is weeping. This is being overcome with sadness. This is being overcome with sorrow. Probably most of you here have only been maybe a few times in your life, maybe only one, where you have been overcome with weeping. It just took a hold of you, and you literally couldn't hold back, but you wept. You was overcome with sadness, you was overcome with grief, and this is where our Savior is. Overcome with sadness, overcome with grief, because these people that are all around him, his friends now, his friends, Mary and Martha and Thomas, and all these people are doubting it. If you had not been here, if you would have been here, you could have done something, you could have saved him. Isn't it amazing? that in a very troubling time in our life and in your life, that many people want to blame God for the circumstances that they're in? You know, everybody says, when I get in this time of trouble, all of a sudden it's then that I want to run to the Lord. Hey, where were you at last week? (laughs) Amen. Hey, where were you at last month? Where you been the last year? All of a sudden, trouble comes in your life, and you want to blame the Lord. Oh, Lord, it's your fault that these... Folks, my, my, my friend Lazarus is dead. That My brother is dead. If you'd have been here, you could have done something. It always bothers me that people want to blame God for things going on in their life. You know, sometimes I'll hear somebody say, well, God saw fit to, took him, to take him. Remember with Job, when his family died, his kids died, who was behind all that? Was it God or was it the devil? Because the Bible says it was the devil that destroyed his family. It seemed like sometimes God gets the blame for things that is not his fault. Now, you let me tell you something this morning. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. They sinned, and since the day that they sinned, it put turmoil in your life, and it put turmoil in my life. The day that Adam and Eve sinned, it put diabetes in your life. It put cancer in your life. It put trouble in your life. It put problems in your life. That was not the Lord's fault. That was not God's fault. It was not God's will. It was God's will to don't touch the tree. Don't mess with that tree. You mess with that tree. Your life will be taken from you, and death will come. And my dear friends, it was not necessarily your fault. It's not God's fault. But I'm going to tell you something. We're all going to have trouble in this life. It's not always God's fault. Now, I'm amazed that the first thing that these people want to do is blame the Lord. You should have been here. He helped others. These Jews said he helped others, but he cannot help his friends. What kind of God is this? I'm going to tell you what that is. That's the devil trying to discourage people from following the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no telling. This crowd, it was... Hanging around, you know, and saying he, could, he could, couldn't help his own friends. How's he going to help anybody else? It's the same crowd that later on, after the great miracle where he did help his friend, that they went to the Jews running off telling about all the things the Lord had done. But they had not repented and accepted Christ. They wanted to blame the Lord. They wanted to blame Christ. And so now Lazarus is in the grave. And this is something that I see here. Lazarus is in the grave, and his people, his closest, maybe the ones that you'd say would be sitting on the front pew. (laughs) No no offense, Brother Shandy. Maybe the ones that would be sitting on the front pew had gotten carnal. You hear me? The ones that knew him the most all of a sudden got a little bit lazy. All of a sudden, these that knew him the most had a bunch of shenanigans in their life. They had a bunch of accusations in their life. All of a sudden, they wanted to blame God for things that were going on. His people became a carnal. And you know what needed to happen? They needed to wake up spiritually. Now, Lazarus was dead. He needed to wake up physically, but there were some folks standing around that day that needed to wake up spiritually. They needed a spiritual awakening. They'd gotten away from God. They had forgotten all, of, all about that there is a a, a a street of gold in heaven. They forgot all about there's a mansion in heaven. They forgot all about there is a, there is a kingdom in heaven that I'm on my way. That is my ultimate goal. And they got, their, they got their tent pegs plugged in way too deep in this world. And when someone dies, they're overcome with grief. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be upset about when somebody dies. They weep. And, and, and cried about Moses for 40 days. But here I think that there was a little bit of carnality. There was a little bit, I guess you might say, of a, a backslidden condition on the part of these people that the God that became a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, heaven-sent Son of God that died on the cross for all mankind, all of a the sudden they're accusing him of some kind of wrongdoing. It was a spiritual condition That they needed to be woken. They needed to be woke up for the Lord. And so the Lord says, Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. And tears of sadness are now joy. Accusations are now astonishment. People who just moved their church membership down the road are now coming back. (laughs) Amen. Lazarus, come forth and praise God by the power of heaven itself. Lazarus did come forth. And I think that this... This great par- this great story of Lazarus represents a lost soul in many ways. It represents a lost soul that's on their way to hell, and they're dead spiritually. They're dead in their sins. They're dead in their sins and their trespasses, and they're on their way to a devil's hell, and they're walking the life of death, and they're walking their path to on to hell, and they need to be awakened to righteousness and awakened to Christ. And the, the cry comes out, Lazarus, come forth. And those that are lost need to be saved. It's the will of God that all men would be saved. It's the will of God that every man, woman, boy, and girl would come to Christ. And so he says here, Lazarus come forth. I think this great miracle can represent a dead church. I believe it can represent a dead church. There's a lot of church folks around Jesus on this day they have lost faith in the Lord. They begin to doubt what God can do. They begin to accuse him of things that he had not done. And I think it's a picture of a church who's backed their way off into a cave somewhere and wrapped themselves in grave clothes and gave up on doing anything for God anymore. They're back there in this cave, and they've closed the stone, and they maybe got what they believe, and they got their theology right, and they got their doctrine right, but because of the things that we see going on in this day and time, they're afraid to boldly speak anymore. They're afraid to put their finger out there and, and point it at sin anymore. Their churches have gone back into this cave, and they've closed this door, and there's a lot of Christians that have done the same thing. They've gone into this cave, and they've wrapped themselves in grave clothes. They've gotten away from God, and these, <clears throat> this great cry, Lazarus, come forth, is a cry that we need to hear today. Amen. It's a cry that the church needs to hear today. I, matter of fact, I want to give to you, when we see this great phrase, Lazarus, come forth, it's the instructions for all of us. I believe it's an illustration, it's the instructions for all of us. It's the very voice of God. And let me tell you something this morning the voice of God can change the very environment. When this world had nothing, it was void. And darkness covered the face of the deep. The Lord said, "Let there be light." And praise God, there was light. I'm here to tell you that the instructions can change your life. The instructions can change your family. The instructions can change your church. The Bible here says, "Lazarus, come forth." Our Lord said in Genesis one, "Let in the, the beginning God create the heavens, and the heavens and let there be light," and there was light. And the light—wouldn't it be good if in a, maybe a dark heart here this morning, the light would shine through? it's the instructions of the word of god it changes the environment it changes the atmosphere it changes the sea you remember our lord was on the stormy seas and the the ship was being tossed to and fro up and down and they began to cry out they began to to, to, to beckon out to the Lord And the Lord says peace be still I'm here to tell you the instructions of God Can change the very environment that you're in You say I'm in a bad environment Things aren't going so well Y'all with me this morning I'm talking about the waves Are rough. Am I the only ones ever had a rough sea to sail on Amen I'm talking about they was rough They were tough, and the Lord steps out, and he says, Peace be still, and the instructions, the very waves, the very wind, the very environment obeys the instructions of God. Wouldn't it be good if more, especially if God's people would obey the instructions? Lazarus, come forth. Many times there would be those that are demon-possessed. I believe we're seeing more and more of that in our day and time. I, I guess maybe people aren't realizing it. Some of the things that are going on in our day and time—the screaming, the cutting themselves, the suicidal thoughts—a lot of these things are the same activity of demonic activity. Throwing them on the fire, and the Lord would say, "Come out of him! Come out of him!" This man—I heard a preacher preach on the maniac of there, the rude, crude dude in the nude. <laughs> That's a good, it's a good title. I mean, it's exact. You get some of that down there in Alabama. They got these things called camp meetings. You get all kinds of crazy sermons. They're fun, though. He preached on that rude, crude dude. And here's a man whom the Bible said had a, a legion of not just one, but many. He said, We are many. And it was so bad they tried to, they took him out to a graveyard and they tried, the the, the world done the best they could to chain him down and tried to put all their, I guess you might say, the only kind of psychiatry they had was to just chain him up. And out there, nobody would even walk by that way, but Jesus walked up by that way. Amen. Jesus came by that way, and the instructions were to come out of him, and the demons came out, and they went into the pigs, and they ran down the side of that hillside, and every one of them drowned. I had a great barbecue that day, didn't I? So here we find the instruction. This, not only is Lazarus come forth, the instructions, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to you that no matter how, where you're at, you can say, well, Preacher, I'm dead. I'm in the world. I'm, in, I'm wrapped up in so many grave clothes. It's is almost I'm physically dead in the place that I'm at. Well, you know what? The invitation is come forth. And there's a choice. Lazarus came forth. But in verse 46, some of them went their ways. There's a choice. There's a choice. You've got to make the choice. Somebody says, well, I'm a Calvinist. I don't believe in choice. An election, an elect. And you know what an, you know what an election has to do? You know what you've got to have to have an election? You've got to have a selection. And you know, why, you know how I explain elect an election? Three votes. Y'all ready for this? I love this. If I'm wrong, don't tell me I'm wrong because I'm going to probably preach this to the day I die. But I I think this is the pretty easiest way to explain this, maybe controversial. It's three votes. God's got one. The devil's got one. You get the tiebreaker. You get the tiebreaker. The devil wants you in hell. The Lord wants you in heaven. That is clear, the scripture, many times over. The Bible says God shall love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, I'm a whosoever, you're a whosoever. If we ever can figure out who a whosoever is, that's how many people can be saved. There's no doubt about who can be saved. It's a whosoever. God's vote, he wants you to get saved. The devil's vote is he wants you in hell. What's your vote? What's your vote? The verse 46, in verse 46, these men went running off to the Pharisees. Their vote was the devil's vote. And, oh, yeah, they had their... You know, they had their higher criticism. They had all their books. They had everything over there in that temple that everybody thought they needed. But they had their vote. Lazarus' vote was to come forth to Christ. And there was an invitation. There's an invitation here to come. Jesus said, come, all ye that labor. Y'all know what all ye, all. you know what that means? That means everybody. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've been, red and yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. It doesn't matter if you're from Africa or India or Russia or China. It doesn't matter where you're from. He wants you to get born again. The invitation is to come forth. If you're here today and lost, the invitation goes out to you to come forth. The invitation comes out to you who are dead in your trespasses and sins to come to Christ. Romans 12, 22, 17 says the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth come and let him that is athirst come. Isaiah 118 says come now let us reason together though your sins be as scarlet they could be as white as snow. It's as if the Lord comes to the kitchen table and pulls out two chairs and says I'm going to sit in one and you're going to sit in one and let's come together and let's reason about this. You're lost. You need to be saved. You're dead. You're in, a ca- you're in this spiritual cave. You need to come out of that place and accept Christ as your personal Savior. It's an invitation. It's important. There is no other way. There is no other place. Muhammad is not going to help you. The the, the invitation Lazarus come forth is the most important one because Buddha can't help you. Muhammad can't help you. Mayor Bakayi can't help you. Hinduism can't help you. Joseph Smith can't help you. The old crow can't help you. Raven can't help you. Hey, I'm telling you, Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life. There ain't another one, my friend. It's important to heed the message of Christ. It's the greatest mistake you ever make to not realize it's the most important call. Come. Come forth, Lazarus. I noticed here that I think that we can say that there's a little bit of iniquity here because we know that the wages of sin is death. I'm a preacher, so i got to get sin in here somehow. Somewhere or another, it's it's like that one preacher said one time. I said, are you sure that's in there? He said, it's like ragu. It's in there somewhere. (laughs) Y'all learning a lot today, aren't you? Iniquity. There was these grave clothes ultimately going all the way back to the garden. That's where death comes from. The Lord's hand is not short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But listen to me. Your sins and iniquities have separated you from you and your God. That he will not hear you. So there's this iniquity. And here's a picture of this man whom I think was probably a call, if if you really look at the scripture, he's probably a good Christian man, a follower of Christ. I think that he was probably dedicated. I don't know why he was sick, I don't know why he died, but the Bible says that the miracle was for the glory of God. That doesn't sound strange when somebody dies. Is there some kind of is there something that we can learn from this? Is God trying to teach me some kind of lesson? Well, with Lazarus, this is true. So Lazarus, the Bible says, and I think it may be an illustration of a man who maybe could have been compared to a Christian. But here he is in this cave. He's in this cave. And there's a stone on that cave, and he's wrapped in grave clothes. How many times have I seen somebody who professes to be a Christian but they don't inspire anybody. Their testimony doesn't touch anybody. It it doesn't do you any good to go soul winning in grave clothes. (laughs) They're not even going to want to answer the door. You're uninspiring, you're irrelevant in the the whole area of a church and of, of Christendom. And Here's a picture of a man who's in this grave. Now listen to me. He's in this grave, and it seems like maybe he's stuck in his sin. I've talked to people say I've, I've, I've tried to quit uh, this certain addiction. I've tried to quit this, this problem, and for some reason I can't. And they're, and they're stuck. They're stuck in their sin. Notice this. He's stuck in a dead place. He's stuck uh, with dead people. <laughs> That's where some of you Christians are. A lot of times the reason why you are who you are as a Christian is because you hang around the wrong crowd. You hang around the graveyard. You know what? You're gonna have a, a dead place, a dead people in a dead position. <laughs> dead position. There, you just laid up on that little slab there, and that's. He does nothing. In a dead place, he does nothing. Dead position. He's in a dead environment. He's in a dead atmosphere. He's in dead clothing. Y'all, somebody say amen right there. In dead clothing, a dead environment, a dead atmosphere. Dead perfume on, even. Dead perfume. You smell dead. You're in a dead environment. You're in a dead atmosphere. You got on dead clothing. Listen to me. You got on the dead perfume. You act dead. You look dead. You feel dead. You might be dead, my dear friend you know what? The Bible says, Lazarus, come forth. I think there's some Lazaruses in here this morning that need to come forth. You're around the wrong crowd. You're around the wrong people. You're around the wrong environment. I knew this man that got saved and he had a problem drinking. He's addicted to drinking. And uh, he said, I have a hard time trying to get off the bottle. I said, well, you need to beat that. You need to beat that. And this is what he said. He said, I finally figured out that my body has such an attraction to alcohol that if I ride by the store where I used to buy my liquor, it's hard for me not to turn into parking lot. He said the steering wheel just kind of turn, turns right in there. He said, Preacher, you know what I had to start doing? And this is what he said. He said I had to start taking another route. I had to start taking another route see, you hang around the wrong crowd, you hang around the wrong people, you're going to keep those dead grave clothes on, you're going to be in that same environment that you're in, but praise God, praise God, Jesus got him out. (laughs) No matter what your problem is, who it is you're hanging around, you know, I think 80% of your problems will go away if you just come to church and be on these pews on Sunday morning. Now, notice this. I think that this cave has with it an element of imprisonment. The addicts sometimes talk about this imprisonment. Think about it. He's in a cave. He's in a cave with a stone, right? Sounds like he's in prison to me. He's got these grave clothes on, right? He's all, you know, when they wrap them all up tight and, you know, you've seen the Scary movies, how the mummies walk, you know. He's enslaved. That's where some of you are at. For some of y'all, you're enslaved. Maybe enslaved with these gray clothes of sin. The reason why you can't do anything for God is you're enslaved to addictions. You're enslaved to sin. You're enslaved to wickedness. You're letting your flesh control you. Anger, anxiety, drugs, drinking. Well, what about the guys that left, and went to the Pharisees? What about higher criticism? You know, they this man's in these gray clothes. Mary and Martha's there. they rolled the stone away, and all of a sudden they begin to hear something, didn't he? They? they began to hear something. Preacher, why are you walking so funny? Because I'm all wrapped up in grave clothes. I can't do a whole lot in these grave clothes. Well, you say you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm wrapped up in these grave clothes. I can, I can bear, I can bear. It's even hard for me to tithe in these grave clothes. Y'all with me this morning? I got all these grave clothes on. I'm, I'm trying to get around. I can't even hardly bend my knees to pray. Y'all with me this morning? I got so many things in my life, so many things got me wrapped up, so many things. Y'all with me this morning, you got so many things wrapping you up, holding you down. It's drugs, it's drinking, it's it's all the things of this world, it's it's pornography, it's all kind of things got you to where you can't do nothing for the Lord. The stone's been rolled away, but you're sitting here, you're hopping around, You, you you can't even get a track out of your pocket to hand it out i'm talking about you are all wrapped up and can't do anything for god you're useless you've done hung around that higher critical crowd you don't even believe the bible's the word of god anymore y'all with me i've met a lot of them they got so smart they don't even believe the Bible is inspired. How are you going to preach the Bible? How are you going to? You can't even ring the doorbell to get somebody to the door to talk to them about Jesus. You're so wrapped up. You know what you need to do. You need to come forth. You you done you done hung around the evolution crowd so long you wonder if maybe there's some kind of mixture between atheism and religion you're you trying to you're trying to get evolution in the Bible and you're all hemmed in and you're all uh, wrapped up and you got all this thing around you you're starting to st- y'all with me you're starting to you got all this stench still on you you know what you need to do you need to come forth and there's some of you he's all and this is what the Lord said. Isn't this what he said? I'm having to go from memory. But didn't he say, loose him? This pastor knocks on your door, says, where have you been? You better thank God for him. He's trying to get you loose from all that stuff. And he says, loose him and thank God for an old-fashioned preacher somewhere that preached the Bible to you. Thank God for a Christian that calls you on the phone. We're missing you at church. Thank God for a Christian. I saw you somewhere you shouldn't have been. You need to get right with God. I'm trying to talk to somebody this morning that needs to get right with God. Get loose. Some of you teenagers in here need to get loose from them grave clothes. You need to get rid of the world. You need to get rid of the stench. Listen to me. You've made a profession in, uh, in Christ. You've said you're a born-again believer. Come forth is the command. Lazarus, come forth. This church can make it to a great level if we had some people that would come forth. Lazarus, come forth. Is there a Lazarus here today? Maybe there's a preacher. You've let the higher critical crowd hem you in. Maybe there's a Christian here that has let the evolution crowd hem you in. You've backed off in a cave. You done heard so much about evolution. You've done backed off into that cra- cave and closed the door and scared to come out. You say, preacher, they know so many big words. They do. I remember I was arguing. I was arguing with the uh, evolutionist one time. And I'll be honest with you. They throw some big words out there. I had to look them up. I just kind of keep it simple with him. I said, well, look, man. Look, you believe you came from a monkey. He said, No, we don't. We don't believe we came from. I said, That's not, you're lying to me. You know good and well you believe you came from. He said, We came from primates. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm not lying. I'm talking about smart, educated, had all the degrees. He's way up there. I shouldn't, I wasn't even in his league. Do you know what I told him? Once I was a tadpole. Long and thin. I was coming out of that grave, boy. I was coming with an old poem. I said once I was a tadpole, long and thin. Then I was a bullfrog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey hanging from a tree. Now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. I said, take that. <laughs> I want to see, and this is what I told him, I want to see the half alligator and half cantaloupe, man. You show me that alligator cantaloupe mixture, and I might go along with it, but it's not there. I believe the book. I believe the book. I believe the instructions. What God has said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Amen. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed, and I'm going to allow Brother Shannon, if you would come and close this as you see fit, but listen to me before he comes. If you're here today, and you don't know the Lord as your personal savior this is a wonderful great opportunity for you to come forth you're dead trespasses and sins and christ is calling your name he's calling your name he knows you by name he's got the very hairs of your head numbered and he wants you in heaven with him one day and i could only hope that you would heed those instructions there may be a young man here this morning. You feel like God's calling you to preach, but you're backed off in that grave somewhere. I'm going to ask you today to listen to the instructions and come forth. Come forth. Brother Shannon, if you come.
1: And so I want you to know that if there's somebody here today and the Lord's pricking your heart, You come to me after the service, you catch one of these guys, you find one of the ushers, you tell them what's going on and and what you need to deal with, we'll help you right now. We'll deal with that. And uh, just make sure you listen to the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in your heart. And uh, what a joy, what a joy to hear the word of God this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for each one who's here. Lord, no mistakes made. And Lord, help us. Help us to rid ourselves of the grave clothes and let us be alive for the Lord. And and God, I pray that uh, whatever, whatever you're pricking our hearts to do, I pray, Father, we'll deal with it right now, immediately. And Father, you will bless and guide in our hearts. Bless the service to come. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.